Good evening, everybody. Great to see you. Hope you've been having a, a wonderful week and making good use of it. On Sunday, we had our fifth Sunday contribution, and every fifth Sunday through the year, which I think there are four of them, we'll be having special contributions. This past contribution went toward benevolence. Would you like to know how much was contributed? <laughs> Over $18,500. That'll go a long way towards some benevolence, won't it? Now, I know everybody gave different amounts, but what did we learn? All of us together, right? All of us together with a heart of benevolence, caring for others. That has made a difference. So that's wonderful. And thank you for contributing to that good work. We're going to sing a song together. And then we're going to begin a new series. I'm excited about it. This, this, this series of lessons over the next three months is going to be dealing with some things a church must do. Some things a church must do. Now, we've already talked at great length about how to be a great church, what God's expectations of us are, and then we considered what it is to strive to be the best kind of servants that we can be. So with all those things together, we'll be hearing what the Bible's expecting of us. And following that, beginning in May, we'll be introducing a whole other series of Bible classes and arrangements that's going to take us five years to conclude. Wow, huh? And that's not just one Bible class in the book of Acts either. <laughs> All right, let's sing a song together, number 429. 429. We'll sing this together and have a prayer. I want to remind you, I've mentioned it quite a lot, but Ben Roberts is going to be going to the doctor tomorrow. There's concern about this aneurysm that he has, and depending on the CT scan, either they will likely do a stent or will have to go in and do surgery to correct his problem. But I asked Ben, he's still on. He said, I sure hope so, because I'm ready for something to happen. So we're praying not only that he has success with his treatment, but that it just relieves the, you know, the unknown, the stress, anxiety that goes along with really un uncertainty about your health. All right, 429, we'll sing. Let's sing the first and second verses, okay? <coughs> oh, to be like Thank you. 
Father in heaven, we are thankful to you for a really beautiful day today. And I pray that all of us can look back on this day and realize that we accomplished some worthy things for you. And Father, I pray that you'll bless us as we've been assembling together and, and talking with one another and learning, learning things about one another's week and the things that are happening in our lives. And I pray that we'll just be invested in one another. We're thankful for uh, the good contribution that came Sunday, and I pray that these efforts and benevolence will demonstrate to our community and beyond the concern that we have for people who are less fortunate than ourselves. I pray, Father, that you'll be with Ben this week as he's to see the doctor. And Lord, I pray that they'll be able to make a determination that is exactly right about his condition and that they'll be able to do whatever procedure is warranted, that it will be a success and that his health will return to him. And Lord, I pray that uh, the anxieties and frustrations that he's been feeling about it, all of that will just vanish and he'll be confident again in his health. There's so many others, Lord, that we dare not mention all for fear that we'll forget somebody. But we all know people in our own lives who are struggling right now. And we're praying your blessings on them and help them to overcome. And Lord, whatever your will is, I pray that you will instill in us a love for other people that will cause us to interject ourselves into their lives and to provide some comfort to demonstrate your love through us. Please bless us, Lord, as we're embarking upon another study. And I pray, Lord, that it will be a blessing to all of us. Help us, Lord, to, to know what to do as a church, the kind of things that you expect us to do. And tonight especially, Lord, help us to have the mindset to disciple Help me to communicate that as I've studied it and put it in terms that everybody can understand and use and be with the hearers that not only do they understand it and know how they could use it, but take it a step further and to implement these things. Help us, Lord, be what you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, that's right. There are lots of things that God has called us to do and to be as a church. And we're really keying a lot of the thoughts that we have in this short series on our theme for the year. 
that we are going to seek and do. When I think about Ezra and Ezra chapter 7 and verse 10, he prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. He prepared his heart. He got ready for it. He set his mind to do the thing. Then he went about gathering up what was necessary in order to accomplish the goals that were before him. And then he went about accomplishing those goals. You understand, as well as I do, that without God, any effort is going to be unsuccessful. But along the same token is the fact that if God has given us tools or he has given us guidance in regard to some of these things, not only are we foolish not to do what he's commanded us to do, but, well, we're outright disobeying him. So this series of lessons is going to remind us of the kinds of things that we must do as a church, the things that God is expecting of us. I don't know if it's at the top of the list, but it's my first lesson. So as regards my consideration, it seems only natural to think in terms of my own discipleship and then the importance of my role in discipling others. Maybe you've studied discipleship before, but I just want to share with you what it is truly to be a disciple and to break that down into a couple of components that we find revealed to us right there in the scriptures. Very simply stated, a disciple is two things, a learner and a follower, a learner and a follower. I didn't just make those up because I think that those fit. You get those ideas from the actual words that the original text describes what is translated disciple to be. There are two primary words. One, and it's spelled in the English this way, M-A-T-H-E-T-E-S, mathetes. That word literally means learner or pupil. The second word is similar to it, M-A-T-H-A-N-O, mathano. That word means learner by use or learner by practice. Now, you see the subtleties in those two definitions. One is simply the idea of a learner or a pupil. The other is the implementation of a doctrine or a teaching. And the implementation of that teaching, that doctrine, causes the person to, to get it, to learn it. So I've boiled it down this way as I introduced it to you. A disciple is a learner or a follower. I'm going to do in my practice what I've learned to do, and I'm going to follow, in our case, our teacher, the one who is the instructor, the Lord. I've, I've become a disciple of the Lord. So I want to learn, and I want to implement. I want to follow. Well, let's put it this way. This isn't just about being a pupil or a student of Jesus. Now, I hear that a lot of times. 
Somebody just said, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a student of Jesus. I, I sit at his feet. I hear his teachings. I'm, I'm learning from Jesus. That, that's great, but that isn't all of it. It's not just being a pupil. It's being a follower, but I also don't want us to misunderstand what it means to follow. Following Jesus doesn't mean I'm just simply, as the picture sometimes describes, he's out front there, I'm just walking in his footsteps. Oh, I should be, metaphorically speaking, walking in the footsteps of Jesus. But the idea is that I am so, I am so impacted by the teaching of Jesus, what I have learned as his pupil, that I actually, by my behavior, have become an imitator of Jesus. That idea of following, not just tagging along, I am becoming an imitator of Jesus. In the book of John, chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, most of us probably know that last section, right? Verse 32. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. But did you see what that was hinged on? Jesus says, if you're abiding in my word, now to abide in the word means I'm living in it. I'm in the Word. If you are abiding there, if you're in the Word, if you're a learner, then you become my disciple. And then, oh, let me tell you this. You'll know the truth, and that truth will set you free. Freedom in Jesus Christ is being in that Word. It is learning what Jesus has for us to know, learning about Jesus, but it's beyond that. It's becoming in my life an imitator of Jesus. How can I do that? Well, I'm able to do that by abiding in that word, walking in that word, if you will, or living in that word. In Matthew chapter 10 and verse 25, Jesus said, It is enough for a disciple to be like his teacher and a servant to be like his master. You can't be Jesus, but you as a disciple can be like Jesus. And what we hope is that we so learn about Jesus and are so impacted by Jesus as imitators that we are able, in the eyes of others, to be as close a representation of Jesus in their life as can possibly be. I want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, what's interesting about that is that disciples of Jesus who are walking in that footstep, who are imitating Jesus, are not shy about setting that as a goal for others trying to disciple them. That's why the Apostle Paul could say in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. Now Paul is a disciple of Jesus in the very greatest sense. He is a learner 
and he is an imitator. And he's able to call for the discipleship of others by saying, you follow me as I'm committed to following him. I want us to think about what it is to be a disciple on the basis of those two ideas, being a learner and being a follower. So a disciple is a learner. Okay, so we, we do this as a church. We'll even put it in the bulletin. You know, we want to read through the Bible in a year. Is reading through the Bible in a year a good idea? Nod your head this way. Not a trick question. Yeah, of course it is. Absolutely. I, I want to read that Bible because I want to know all that God's ever said about everything. I mean, I want to have a, a well-rounded grasp of the Word of God. But if I am a disciple of Jesus Christ, if that is what I am striving to be, then the number one thing that I want to know is not everything about Moses or everything about Abraham. Now, those are great subjects. And as much as I'm able to do, I want to study them because my knowledge of them bears in great part to applications in the New Testament scriptures. But the number one thing I want to know as a disciple of Jesus Christ is Jesus Christ. Now, what do you mean by that, Ken? Well, I don't necessarily mean knowing all the facts about Jesus. You know, being able to say what he did when he was 12 years old, or how he began his ministry, or uh, quoting passages of Scripture, or knowing to the, the greatest degree all of the red-letter statements in my Bible. N not that. Not just knowing facts about Jesus. I need to know about the teachings of Jesus. Because what Jesus was teaching as the embodiment of the Word of God is expressing to us who God is. I mean, that's what Jesus' purpose was. In the book of John chapter 1, God is demonstrated through Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Well, that tells us a lot about the world Jesus came into as light, but as disciples began to follow Jesus and learn about him, not just learn facts about him. Oh, is he a good carpenter? Uh, is he going to be a fisherman with us? Not that. But the things that he taught, many times just confounding them. You, you remember how many times Jesus would teach parables and the disciples were like, uh, Lord, you got to give us a little hint on that. We don't... Not just knowing Jesus and what he liked to eat. But spending time with Jesus and knowing his agenda, understanding his teachings. Now those disciples living with Jesus had a hard time comprehending that. Even to the extent that when they are to become the instruments by which the kingdom of God is going to be established there on the day of Pentecost, they are, they are just very shortly removed from a time they didn't even really get what was happening. 
So we've got to be in tune with Jesus, understanding not just who he is and some facts about him, but about his work. Now, a great place to go, as you know very well, is Matthew chapter 28 and verses 19 and 20. And that passage tells us a lot about Jesus and his will and his agenda because it's, it's like one of the last things he says as he's ascending to the Father. You know, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Now notice, Jesus says, you go, you who are my disciples, you go and make disciples. And when you make those disciples, then you teach them to observe the things that I've commanded you. What's that all about? Well, the disciples who had learned about Jesus and who were following and imitating Jesus are now given the responsibility to go and preach that same message of God delivered to them by Jesus. Now that's impacted their life. They're going to share that with the rest of the world. They're going to save souls, yeah, but they're making disciples who in turn are to make disciples. How do they do that? By teaching them the things that they had been taught. Discipleship. I want to know about Jesus, not just facts about him, but about his will, about his way. But I also want to, and for lack of a better way of saying it, I also want to attend the school of Jesus. Now, I'm thinking about Matthew chapter 11, verses 28, 29, and 30. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Okay, an important little instructional device in that text is the idea of a yoke. Anybody know what a yoke is? Not an egg yolk. That's a yolk. <laughs> well, it, 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 here, Jesus' application is this. Okay, so you could use this device. And I remember growing up on, on a farm. We lived on a farm that was an ancient farm. And what I mean by that is a lot of the buildings that were on that farm were way over 100 years old. And so we're all, as kids, we're all, all the time finding artifacts. And we found this contraption one time. It was made out of wood and leather. It had this arch and then a little piece in the middle and then another arch. And then it had some dangly things under that. That's about all the pieces that we could find. We weren't sure what it was. It looked kind of like maybe a bicycle or something. But it wasn't a bicycle. It was a yoke. That yoke was used to actually bind together two animals for the purpose of working. Now, I understand this is typically how it went. Say I had one of my old animals I've been using for years. It knows how to plow. In fact, I probably don't have to tell it much. I just set it in the right direction and say, giddy up, and it goes. But say I bought a new if it's an oxen or a horse, whatever you're using to employ as your driving force, you bought a new one. He has no idea what's going on. What you do is you yoke the experienced animal 
to the immature animal. That more experienced animal tied to the newer animal basically instructs it in the way to go. And with time being yoked together, they become, in effect, one force together. Now, Jesus says, I I know you're bearing burdens. I know that you're carrying a lot of this weight on your own right now. But let me tell you what, I have a remedy for that. And that is when you yoke up with me. My yoke, he says, is easy. My burden is light. You know why that is. That's because he's carrying most of it. And being yoked together with Jesus isn't just that, oh, I want to I be yoked with Jesus so that he can bear my burden. That, that's not really the purpose in that. The purpose in that is for us to learn being tied up with Jesus, right? What does a disciple do? A disciple learns and a disciple follows. I'm wanting to learn from Jesus so that I can make application to my life. I am, in that way, going to, if you will, the school of Jesus. I'm learning from Jesus. Now, I'm looking at Jesus and I'm realizing that he's able to do that with me and for me Because God did something special with Jesus. God gave Jesus authority to do those things. He actually states that in the passage that we looked at a moment ago. It's in Matthew chapter 28 at verse 18. That verse preceding uh, the, the call to go into the world and preach that gospel. Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now, with Jesus in his position of authority is dictating to us some things. Well, the, the handle that I have, or, or if, again, if you will, the, the idea of, of the schooling, the textbook that I am using is the Bible itself, the written Word of God. Jesus, the embodiment of the Word, and the Bible, the written Word. So I'm going to use that in order to equip myself. Jesus said something pretty important about that in John chapter 5 and verse 39. He says, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, but these are they which testify of me. Okay, to the Jews, boy, you guys, you... You know, you just love to talk about how you dig into that word and you get your understanding. Oh, look at us. We're we're doing this and this and that and that and we're just dotting the I's and crossing the T's. We've got it. Jesus says what you don't realize is that as you are reading those scriptures and you're, you're putting them on your hearts and you're so intent upon doing everything you think that God is requiring of you, here I stand right before you, the one that you're trying to reject, and I am actually the fulfillment of those scriptures right there. Oh, you're searching the scriptures, and the reason that you do that is because you want eternal life. But what you don't get is that eternal life is in whom? in Jesus, right? Jesus says, that's in me. Okay, so I want to know Jesus, but not just facts about Jesus. I want to know his way. I want to know his will. And and I'm going to set my my mind and my heart to kind of the idea of going to the school of Jesus. I I want him to instruct me. I want to yoke up with Jesus. 
I want Jesus to be so impactful in my life that I recognize his authority over me and I submit to the teaching that he gives and then I commit myself as much as is possible that as regards this teaching, I'm going to do it for a particular amount of time. How much time do you think I'm thinking about? How about a lifetime? I have to commit myself if I'm a disciple of Jesus. I'm, I'm wanting to be a learner. I have got to commit myself to a lifetime of learning. It, here's how I would put it. Not just that I'm going to be there for every service and hear the sermons and be in the Bible class and hear the Bible classes. Not that. But that I'm going to be committed to reading and studying or meditating upon the Word of God every day. Why would I do that? Well, for one thing, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. If you want to be complete and equipped, that's going to come as a result of digging into the Word of God. And the only way that's going to stick the only way it's going to, through its repetition, through the properties of its repetition, the only way that's going to happen is if I'm continually in that Word. I'm continually feeding my spirit the Word of God. Now, your physical body, man, I know people, they're going to be scheduled for surgery tomorrow morning, I don't know, so they can't eat after midnight. Now, even people who don't normally eat a breakfast, they're like starving to death. Because somehow, psychologically, they've got the idea, if I can't eat, I must be dying. And so, oh, Ken, oh, I can't wait for this. Oh, no, they had to postpone my surgery one hour. I don't know if I can make it. What if that were your spirit? You know, how are you feeding your spirit? Are you providing it with the nourishment that it needs to carry on? Or are you starving it to death? Psalm number one. Now, the Psalms are, are beautiful, right? They're there as, as the psalm book of Israel. They have such great meditative thoughts. They are poetic. Psalm one begins this way. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Now I say, I want to be that guy. Okay, me too. I want to be that guy. I want to be that guy wherever he is planted, that he's constantly receiving spiritual, in this context, spiritual nourishment. But the only way that's going to happen is if I follow in those footsteps. And he says, he is in that word day and night. He is like a tree that's planted by the rivers of water. He's receiving that nourishment. I've got to set my mind and my heart to seeking after and feeding my spirit with the word of God. How often? Every single day, 
In this case, he said day and night. I'm giving constant attention to the Word of God. When I'm doing that, then another thing that the Psalms says, of course it says many things about the Word of God, but Psalm 119, verse 105, says the Word of God is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Uh, Another obvious question, if you're walking in the dark, when do you want that light? (laughs) Well, only when you want to see, right? So, Again, the idea, if I'm going to have that light shining, I'm going to have that Word growing in me. And the only way that's going to happen is if I'm feasting on that Word. And then uh, the second thing I wanted to talk to you about is the following aspect. A disciple is that follower. In Mark chapter 1, verse 17, this is at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, but also the beginning of the disciples' ministry as Jesus is calling them to come work with Him. Jesus says, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Now, Matthew's quotation of Jesus is, you know, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Uh, Mark is subtle, but it's important. Jesus didn't expect those guys just to hit the ground running. He expected them to equip themselves. That's what this whole deal with him working with them for these three and a half years was all about, preparing them for what was ahead. Jesus says, if you'll follow me, I will make you become fishers of men. Also in Matthew chapter 10, verses 37, 38, 39, Jesus says some challenging things. He said that he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me, is not worthy of me. He who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who seeks to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Okay, I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus. I'll learn about him, but I'm also going to follow him I don't know if this has ever crossed your mind, but let's think about it for a minute. With those kinds of stipulations right there, why is it I would want to be a follower of Jesus? Because when I read that text, I I see some tough things. First of all, I read right there that If I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm going to love others less than Jesus. Now think of the person you love the most. Spouse, children, parents, and what you do for them. What you wouldn't do for them. (laughs) But Jesus says, if you're going to follow after, following him, not just learning about him, got some facts, I know Jesus following, put them in implementation, doing it. If you're going to do that, Jesus says, that's, you're going to follow me. You're going to love others less than you love me. Or another one that's pretty big, I don't know if you caught that in this text, but you're denying yourself too, so you're going to love self less than Jesus too. And also this whole idea of Bearing a cross, you know, taking up a cross. 
That's dying to sin every single day. I'm going to do that. When Paul talked about it for himself, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 31, he said, I die not every first day of the week or, you know, on those sacred holidays, quote unquote. I die daily, every single day. That's my commitment to Jesus. I die daily. Or he put it another way in Galatians 2, verse 20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I, I'm dying here. And then, well, let's just say it this way. I give up. I'm going to say two things. I give up anything and I give up everything. I want to say it that way because I want it to be all-inclusive. Because some people will say, well, I gave up everything for Jesus, but... Did you? I mean, there are still some things really important to you, so let's just make it as comprehensive as I can. Give up anything that you have and everything that you have. Well, you'll still have things at your disposal, but what I'm saying is those things have taken on a whole new meaning in your life. Now, everything that is in your possession is for the purpose of following Jesus. If I'm going to follow Jesus, then I'm, I'm given that stuff. Now, following Jesus. I, I put that question out there, why would I want to do it? So far, that sounds pretty tough. I'm wondering why I would want to do it. And then let's just add to that. Like Luke chapter 9, verse 23, goes even stronger than this text did. Because he says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, there's that word again, daily, and follow me. Or chapter 14, verse 33. Whatever it is that you have, whatever is your possession, that's what I'm giving to the Lord. No matter what it is, I'm giving it over to God. Okay? Why would I want to be a follower of Jesus? When it's so costly? It's because not following Jesus is even more costly. You know that text, Matthew 16, verse 26? What profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? A lot of stuff in this life that we're attracted to. Things that make us smile. Sometimes you may own something, you just think of it, it just makes you feel good. I I don't know. But is that worth your soul? The answer to that question is no. And as difficult as it might seem to be a disciple of Jesus, to be a learner in the sense that I'm learning his way and what's important to him, and being a follower in the sense that I'm going to imitate him, that's going to require a lot of things for for me to do, a lot of changes that are going to have to be made, a lot of overriding of my natural desires. 
I say, that costs me an awful lot. Well, what did we say? It costs you everything. But I'm telling you that everything that you have is not a substitute for a soul that would be lost for eternity. So really what I'm considering here as a disciple is the difference between a little bit of pleasure now, which is temporary, and eternal pleasure and satisfaction with Jesus and the Father in heaven someday. I have to be a disciple in order to be truly a a learner and a follower, but also my responsibility is to disciple others. When I'm able to give up everything in order to give myself to the Lord in His pursuits, then I'm ready to do the work of God. And I'm asking you at the outset here, are, are you ready to do the work of God? Nod your head this way. Yes. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the privilege and the blessing it is to be your children. And we remember the day when you washed our sins away. We remember the the joy and the relief in knowing that you forgave us of our sins. And we came up out of that water ready to serve you. Lord, I pray that the enthusiasm that we had then is the enthusiasm that we have now. And that as disciples of yours, we feel a responsibility, not not just for ourselves to be learners and followers of yours and putting all that we have and all that we are into your hands for that purpose, but also that we feel a heavy burden and responsibility to disciple others. And Lord, whether that's just in some very powerful, proactive, um, very personal ways in, in reaching out to others, or whether it's by the life that we live in front of others, I pray, Lord, that in every way that we contact other people, that the fact that we are imitators of you will always shine through. And I pray, Father, that, that we will not shame you by our behavior, but that we will glorify you in that, that we will be effective in leading others to you, and that as a result of that, not only will we have invested well in this life, but that we can expect an eternal reward to be with you forever and ever. Father, we thank you for our own salvation, but we pray that you will use us as disciples to disciple. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I'd like for the parents to go ahead. You can go get your kids and wait about 15 seconds, and then everybody else can leave. <laughs>